So we're in a fantastic sermon series right now. I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew, and we're so glad that you're here with us at Christ Church. It is a good morning to be worshiping God. And our sermon series is focusing on the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission is this command that Jesus gives to his disciples uh, before he he goes into heaven. and, And he tells them that he wants them to go out and to share the good news that Christ is their Savior. And when you look at the Great Commission, it's important to remember that it's actually broke down into three divine statements, if you want to call them that. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew 28, verse 16 with me. In this series, we, we, last week, Pastor John was speaking to you about how, as followers of Jesus, we had this moment in our life where we uh, had that stirring in our heart when God said, hey, you're mine, I want you. And in that moment, we, we took that moment and we responded and we had this conversion moment. We talked about how the disciples were standing along the sea and, and how Jesus came along and he said, hey, drop your nets, follow me. And so we talked about how, it, can you imagine how ridiculous it would be if the disciples standing along the sea, Jesus said, hey, drop your nets and follow me. They say, we're right there with you, Jesus. But they stand still and they never drop their nets. What would that look like? It would be a bit ridiculous. As we all know how the story went, the disciples did in fact drop their nets and they followed Jesus because you see, and if you convert to Christ, when you make that decision to follow Jesus because of that stirring that he put in your heart, when you begin to follow Jesus, you can't simply stay a convert. Because you move from being a convert to a disciple. In the Great Commission, the scripture that we have this morning, Jesus doesn't tell the disciples, he doesn't tell us to go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. And so a lot of time in our Christianity, we have this concept that when people accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, it's finished, it's done, we can sit back and happy day. No. When somebody accepts Christ, that is the beginning of a very long process that you as believers are called to be a part of. We've got the Franklin Graham Festival of Hope coming next week. Who are you bringing? I want to challenge you that that when people accept Christ at the Franklin Graham event, in a couple of weeks, Franklin Graham will be gone. The Charlie Daniels Band will be gone. And all that will be remaining is us. And God has called us to be a part of the lives of the people that will be transformed. Because if you remember what the scripture says, we're not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. And that's what we talked about last week. And so if you have your scripture, I want to read this to you real quick from the book of Matthew 28. It says this in verse 16, that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I just, I like to point out that these men were with Jesus. They were his disciples. And if you remember, the word disciple actually means student. And so as the the, the disciples were students of Jesus, they walked with him. And at this point in the story, they went from being students to being apostles. And and remember, the word disciple means student. The word apostle means messenger. We're going to get into that more here in a minute. But at this point in the story, the disciples, the apostles, are the messengers of God. 
And I want to point out the fact that some of them doubted. Just like some of us have questions. Just like some of us have fears. And just like some of us mess things up. You know what's beautiful about the men that Jesus called here, the disciples? Is they were knuckleheads, average Joes, just like you and me. Fishermen's. Fishermen's. Fishermen. Doctors. Tax collectors. Average people who didn't deserve any of the power that was given to them. And in the reality of it, they don't have any power. They simply were chosen by God to go and to do something. And they were obedient to that. They dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. They were converts who became disciples, who became apostles. And he says these words, When they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now the Great Commission is actually broken down into three divine statements, as I said. The first one is that Jesus makes an authority claim. I mean, you think about it. Who's this man to come and to give me a mission? Who does he think he is that he can tell me I'm to go and make disciples? Well, he tells us when Jesus says that all authority in in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the great authoritative statement in the Great Commission. The second statement is the great command, the great commission itself. When Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples, not converts, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. When he gives us this command, he's commanding us to walk alongside of people. To not just simply give them a Bible, slap them on the back and say, have at it. No. We're called by Christ to to maybe have one or two people. Listen to me. In our life that we're mentoring, that we're shepherding. I mean, think about this. If each person in this room had one person whom you could walk beside in a discipleship manner as you grew in the Lord, think about the impact that that actually would have. Think about the doubling of the size of this room. Think about if those people who you talked to then went and talked to somebody. Think about how exponentially fast the gospel would spread if we were obedient to making disciples. True disciples. People who aren't just having an experience with God, but who are growing deep in the word and understanding of truth. As believers, we aren't to pray about doing that. Because when we say that we want to follow Jesus, it's part of the job. I always tell people that missions is one of the things, or or following God or spreading the word of God, is something you don't even have to pray about because he tells us very clearly each one of us is called to do it. Amen? Do you hear what I'm saying, church? You are called by God to be a spreader of the gospel. The disciples didn't have any special theology degree. They had a relationship with the king. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? If you have a relationship with Jesus, then you have more than enough to qualify you. Because nothing man-made qualifies you. But Jesus qualifies you to spread the good news. If you step out in faith and are obedient to him in this commandment, he will be with you because you see in the Great Commission, there's a third statement that Jesus makes. He says this, 
and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he says this statement, which is called the divine comfort statement. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. You know, know, sharing the gospel is hard. Let's just be very honest. Here I am standing before people. I have to be honest, I think it's easier to talk to 1,500 people about Jesus than it is to talk to one. Right? Why is that? This is a society, we have a fear of rejection. We have a fear that that we're going to fail. But the reality of it is, is see, if we're obedient to what God has called us to, we're not going to fail. We're not going to fail at all because Christ is not calling us to win souls to Jesus. He's calling us to be obedient and sharing the news of the gospel. If there's any conversion that takes place, sorry, you don't get the credit for that. That's God. You're just being obedient to what he told you to do, and that was to go and to share the message. That takes a lot of pressure off of us, doesn't it? I know the other night, I, I've been coming up with this plan in my head of how I'm going to invite my neighbors to come to the Franklin Graham Crusade. And here I am, I can stand in front of all of you and preach the gospel, but when I hit my cul-de-sac, I have to be honest, it's intimidating to talk to one person or two people. And so there I am on my cul-de-sac, and I'm talking to two of my neighbors about how I want to invite folks down to the, to the crusade, and I just don't have the words to share because I don't want to offend or I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. And, and I started talking about how there's going to be different bands, and, and this neighbor I'm speaking to is a believer, and so we were just kind of chatting it up, and I didn't realize that my other neighbor, who I've been praying for, is walking up behind me, and I said something about the Charlie Daniels band being there on Sunday night, and he said, hey, Charlie Daniels band? Where, where are they going to be? Now, this is a gentleman I never would have thought in a million years had any desire to listen to the Charlie Daniels band. And I said, well, they're coming to Pittsburgh, and they're, they're going to be here on Sunday night for a free concert. Do you want to go? And he looked at me, and he said, yeah, I'd love to go. And here I am, Pastor Jamie, I've had this divine plan of how I'm going to have this massive event at my house, and I'm going to invite all my neighbors, and I've got this systematic plan of how I'm going to invite them to come to know the Lord, and and how they're going to say yes, and everybody's going to hit their knees, and our cul-de-sac is going to glow white because of all this planning and process and thinking that I put into place, but he interrupts my conversation about Charlie Daniels, and God showed up. That's not how it was supposed to work, God. Didn't you know my plans? See, here's the thing. God called us to be who we are, and he will use that. I was just simply having a conversation, and God in his timing showed up. And I'm excited that my neighbors are coming down to the crusade. And I even told him, I said, hey, you know, this is a church thing. You're going to hear a sermon. They said, that's cool. We want to hear Charlie Daniels. They have no idea about what's going to happen to them. Isn't it cool? But that's the way God works. And, and it is intimidating, and it is hard, and it's scary. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's downright overwhelming. I remember I was in Kenya, and I was traveling with a group of people. This was lots and lots of years ago, and, and I was traveling with some scientists who were studying the rhinos, and I was studying with some photographer who's, who was taking pictures for Oprah Winfrey because she was looking to open some type of school. And we were traveling around because we were meeting with different villages to find out uh, about starting a missions organization to do micro-enterprising and clean water projects. And we were literally traveling all of Kenya to speak to everybody. And we were traveling to a region out in the savannah uh, to a group of people called the Maasai people. And these, these folks have really decided that they're going to stick to their, their ancestral tribal ways and they live in the bush and they, they're the people that create these giant thorn 
huts and things and they make their homes out of dung and they're a beautiful people. And, but the problem is, is they live out in the middle of nowhere. And so we were going to drive for 12 hours on no roads to find the Maasai. Now the problem with the Maasai is, is they're also nomads. So it's not like they have a P.O. box or an address that you can put in your Garmin. You literally have to go drive and just find them. And so we were driving to find the Maasai when by chance encounter we found another nomadic group of people. They were just a group of nomadic people kind of dressed like you and I. I, they, They clearly had run into some missionaries at some point. We pulled up and a kid had a Pittsburgh Penguin shirt on. And I thought, these are my people. But it was amazing. We stopped and we began to have conversation with the chief and the different people. There was probably over 300 people who had gathered around to see what they call a mazunga, the white face. Some of these people had never even seen white people before. And so they gathered around and we were sharing about who we were and what we were doing. And, and um, I remember I looked down and at the feet of one of the little kids. And on his feet he had these sandals that were made out of tires. And if you know anything about tires, you know that a tire isn't just rubber. It actually has belts of steel that go through it. And here we are, a team of missionaries traveling all of Kenya to try to find out how we can help, what we can be involved in so that we're not hurting, but we're actually helping and we're bringing the gospel. And, and this little boy who, who I looked at had these sandals on and there was a metal sliver sticking up through his foot. And as I began to look around at all the people, they had these sandals because they didn't have anything to make shoes out of and so they would find tires and they would make these sandals and you look at their feet and they're just filled with glass and, and metal spikes sticking through their feet. And I remember we, were, we got to talking and we sat down and a little boy looked at me and he says, can you help me? And he pointed to the sliver sticking up through the top of his foot. And we sat down and I took my little Leatherman tool because I was a Boy Scout and I know to always be prepared. And we began to pull the metal and the glass and the debris out of these people's feet. And it was as if some kind of great revival happened in this moment because everybody dropped what they were doing and they started forming a line to have these things removed from their feet. And I remember sitting there as this young pastor, very disillusioned by a lot of stuff at this point in my life, that these people just wanted their feet fixed. And so we grabbed every Band-Aid we had. We grabbed everything of alcohol that we had. We grabbed every medical supply that we had. And we had long since spent it all. And the line is still going on. And I remember sitting there thinking, God, I am not equipped. I am not prepared to do this. I can't help these people. And, 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 you can, and I remember these emotions coming over me. And I'm sitting there with this little five-year-old or six-year-old kid in my lap, crying as I'm pulling out something from his foot and I just couldn't do it and I began to weep and I remember sitting there just frozen in time because it was so overwhelming the task before us one of our guides by the name of Paul Amandi a Kenyan came up beside me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said these words to me And he said it with this beautiful Kenyan English accent, which I wish I could duplicate for you. He just simply touched my shoulder and he said, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Then he took the pliers from my hand 
And he sat beside me. And he began to pull more wires out of these kids' feet. And for hours, we just did what we could. Because God put us there for a reason. And we just needed to be obedient. I know that sometimes these situations in our lives can become so overwhelming that we don't think we can do it. The reality of it is, is we can't. But God can. Christians, listen to me. That's found in Galatians 6, 9, that we cannot grow weary in doing good because he says in a time there will be a harvest. You know, when you think about planting, when you think about harvesting, I remember my, I got a phone call one day and there was a farmer who was freaking out because all of his apples had come ripe at the same time and he literally didn't have the staff to come and to help him. And you know what happens to fruit if it's left on the vine? It turns rotten and it dies. And so he called me and he said, I need help. I need people to come alongside of me and help me pick the fruit or it's going to die. So I remember we took 40 kids We went to this orchard and we picked apples. They didn't have special apple picking degrees. They weren't scientists or botanists. They were just people who were willing to do what they were called to do when they were called upon to do it. And they picked fruit. And I want to challenge you as a believer that God is calling you to be a part of something. He's calling you to be a part of a harvest where he's not asking you to be a specific type of farmer. He's not asking you to have a specific type of degree. He's simply asking you to be what you committed to being, and that is a little Christ, a Christ follower. And he's asking you to grab a bucket and to start picking fruit. I want you to take your Bibles and I would like for you to turn to the book of Luke chapter 9 with me as we read this morning. The task can very easily become overwhelming for us, can't it? It can become scary. But remember, God will work through us if we don't grow weary in doing good. In the book of Luke 9, verse 57, we have these words that, that were given from Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. And when we hear this, we think, wow, Jesus, you're being really hard on these guys. Let me explain something. When Jesus tells us to leave the dead to bury the dead, when Jesus says, hate your family. He's not literally saying you should hate your family, but what he is saying is that the love that you have for the Lord should make the love that you have for your family look like hate. You following me? He's not saying that we should not take care of our families and that we should abandon them. He's not saying that at all, but what he's saying is, is when we have committed our lives to Christ, just like Abraham did, when Abraham committed himself to God and to God's promise, he left everything that he had behind. He left his cushy lifestyle that he could have had it easy, but he left it behind. When we learned about Ruth, Ruth left her people, she left her gods, and she followed the one true God. 
As we said before, in order to be in the bloodline of Jesus, you must be willing to leave everything behind for the sake of the kingdom. When Jesus says, a man who puts his hand to the plow but looks backwards is not worth even serving in the kingdom. Do you know, have you ever seen a team of oxen pull a plow? Maybe some of you have. Have you ever been driving down the road and you look left and all of a sudden you find your cars moving left? You can laugh because I know a lot of you have done it. Or when you, turn to the, when you look to the right, you find yourself turning your car to the right? You see, when the guy driving the plow is plowing through the field and he looks behind, he ends up losing his way and the plow begins to aimlessly wander all over the field, destroying the crop, destroying the planted seeds. Anything that has already been done, he ruins it. And what Jesus is telling us in this moment is that we are called to follow him. And if we are called to follow him, we can't serve two masters. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the things of God and say, you know what, I kind of want to hang out somewhere in the middle because I really like this and I really like this concept of Jesus, but I'm not willing to drop my net and follow. Jesus said, follow me. Don't like the idea of me. Follow me. Become my disciple which is a learner. We as a church are called to follow. Jesus continues on. He says, after this, the Lord, it says, after the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. When Jesus picked these 72, 70 people to go out in his name, he sent them two by two. Here we are talking about Franklin Graham coming and bringing the gospel message. But the reality of it is the most significant minister in the life of the person who will come to know Christ is going to be the person who brought them along. As I said earlier, Franklin's going to go home, but you are going to be by that person's side. Jesus didn't send out anybody by themselves. He sent them two by two. And so the question I have for you, church, is who are you going to walk with? Who are you going to walk beside Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your child. But who are you partnering in the ministry of the Lord with? Because we're not called to be loners in this. God knows that we're sinful creatures. He knows that we fall and that we mess up. Even the disciples had doubts and fears. We need one another to sharpen one another, to come alongside of one another when we're struggling, when we're weak. I find it amazing that there I was talking to my one neighbor in the cul-de-sac about God. There was just two of us there, and so was God. God desires to go with you. He desires for us to be alongside of one another. He sent out 72 average Joes, just people who had a relationship with the king. That story doesn't end with the pages of this book. That story of people being sent out to share the gospel continues with us because you see, in this moment, the disciples are no longer just disciples, they're apostles. And I love that we read and recited the Apostles' Creed earlier because that creed states what we believe and the word apostle literally means messenger. So we go from convert to disciple to messenger. Church, we are the hands and feet of God. We don't do the saving, but we're the vessel by which he has chosen to reveal himself to the nations. You have a big part in this. In chapter 10, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. 
He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I look at so many of you in this church, and you have your hands to the plow, and you are just picking fruit. You are serving God, and it is so evident. I want to say this. Don't grow weary, because the harvest is coming. There's some of us in this room right now who are sitting on the sidelines saying, look at them go. And I'm telling you, we're being sinful to the Lord when we do that. Because part of following Jesus is being obedient to his commands. And one of his commands is for us to go and to make disciples. Well, Pastor Jamie, I don't have anything to offer anybody. I don't know enough about the Bible. Do you know Jesus? Because God does not make mistakes and he's designed us on purpose. And he will bring someone beside us that needs a partner in the ministry. God doesn't make mistakes. God knows each and every one of you and where you're at. And he will use you in an amazing, amazing way. The harvest is plentiful. There are people in our world right now who need to hear about the hope, the grace, the love, and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Our cities, our neighborhoods, our streets, our workplaces, our families are filled with them, church. The people of God need to not be silent and we need to stand up and speak out. My heart has been ripped out this week as I've been reading about what is going on in Iraq to Christians. They are facing a persecution that is unreal. But they are standing to who they say they are as believers in God. And my question to us, church, and to myself this week has been, would I have the faith to watch what they're having done to them over there? And if you don't know, I can't tell you because it's just so graphic. But they're experiencing a biblical proportion um, Uh, atrocities in Iraq right now to Christians. They're being persecuted unlike anything I've heard about in a very long time. And we as brothers and sisters in Christ need to be lifting them up. And my original prayer for them was, oh God, protect them. Oh God, keep them safe. But that's a very short-minded prayer. Where I'm sure God would love to keep us safe. I'm sure that God would love to to make everything just be fluffy bunnies all the time. But the reality of it is, is there is sin in this world. And he needs to send his loved ones, his sheep, among the wolves. So that they may see the error of their ways. And So my prayer for the people in Iraq is not that God would just simply keep them safe. But my prayer for the people in Iraq is that he would somehow be glorified by what's happening to the Christians there. Church, if we experience a persecution which could very easily come, would we have the faith to be who we say we are? Would we recognize that there is a harvest coming? Would we be so in tune with our relationship with God that we would be able to stand firm? Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. What Jesus is asking us to do is not easy. What Jesus is asking us to do is downright uncomfortable. But he did it first. 
He's not asking us to do anything that he himself wasn't willing to do for us. And so the question I have, church, is are you going to go? Are you going to go and share the good news? Are you going to move from being a convert to a learner of Jesus, a disciple? Are you going to be satisfied there? Are you going to continue to grow in your faith to the point where you are no longer just simply a disciple of the Lord, but you are an apostle because you have a message to bring, regardless of the cost? Because if you remember, Jesus encourages us to leave everything behind for the sake of the kingdom of God. And sometimes it may cost us everything. Who's that person you're going to bring? Who's that person that you're going to minister to? Who's that person that you're going to ask God to give you 20 seconds of stupid courage to so that you can say, hey, will not you come here, Charlie Daniels, with me? When we overthink it, when we put our efforts into it, we can really get in the way. You're not adequate. You're not good enough to do it. But Jesus Christ in you is. Rely on him. And how do you rely on him? You pray. You pray to God to give you the strength. You pray to God to give you the courage. You get your nose into this book and read it. These are the words of God and they are good. Read them. Study them. Know them. And in them you will find the answers to your fears. You will find the courage to carry on. And just as one little Kenyan man said to me by using Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing good. Sometimes we need to hear that, don't we? Sometimes we just need a good word of God to come alongside of us to help us carry forth the mission. Well, this is the word of the Lord. And I pray that you will take it to heart and you will take Christ's command that he has given to us and that you will go and make disciples. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to not simply pray for convenience and comfort, but help us to pray for opportunities to glorify you. Help us to be obedient to your will. I thank you for these beautiful people in this congregation, Lord, that they're here worshiping you this morning. And I pray that you will bless them and that you will keep them. And I also pray, God, that you will use them in a mighty way to bring glory to your kingdom that on each one of their hearts right now, you will put a name of somebody that they can walk along, that they can come alongside of, that they can maybe invite to the Festival of Hope, invite the church, or just simply pray for them. When we think about the harvest, God, it's amazing because there's so many people that are involved in seed planting and fertilizing and and, and cultivating and and growing, and, and there's so many people that are involved, but really one person will get to pick the fruit, but it takes a lot of people to cultivate that, God. You didn't tell the farmers that, hey, go and pick fruit. They, they went and they cultivated. They, they, they worked at it. And God, help us to recognize that when people sometimes tell us no, that's not us failing, God. Because we've been obedient to you, that's actually success. That the response of the person, God, is, as you know, is completely on them. And we pray that you would help the people's responses, but help us to be obedient in what you've called us to be obedient in, and that is to go and to make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.